This is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Hi, good evening, Koto listeners, uh, and welcome to tonight's Off the Record. I'm your host this evening, Gavin McGough, and I hope you're excited for this particular episode because we are talking about pets. So perk up your ears, maybe give us a dog whistle, or call in at 970-728-4333, and we will take your call on the air um, about all things pets. I'll start... Uh, with our first intro for the evening, um, Courtney Fusette. Fusette, uh, your mic is live, so you can say hello. Hi, Gavin. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah, really thanks for it. thanks for coming on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Courtney is a groomer at Dirt Dog Co. Uh, and has worked in the past uh, in the vet world, I believe. Yep. Um, and yeah, do you ha- do you have any pets yourself? I do. Uh, I have quite the menagerie, actually. I have oh, uh, three horses, a goat, three dogs, and two cats. Uh, in the valley here, or I guess you're out in Norwood <laughs> or something. No, uh, actually, I have my cats here. Unfortunately, I, I can't have my horses here. I only have a small apartment, so they're back in Louisiana with my family. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, welcome. We also have joining us tonight. Um, Rachel Bellamy, who I am meeting for the first time and is uh, hot in from D.C., <laughs> I believe. Um, Rachel, we'll get you set up on one of these mics here, but you can also just give a hello on this one. Um, I tell you, Rod. And Rachel runs, uh, is a dog trainer at Wrangle Dogs here in Telluride, which offers pet training sessions. Um, this summer, she ran a series of dog training classes at the library as well. Um, and do you want to give us a rundown of your uh, pet menagerie? I am actually pet-free at the moment. Um, Scandal. Had, I know. It's kind of <laughs> crazy. I've had plenty of pets in my time, but um, right now I don't have any, and it's actually quite convenient for running the business. I'm able to watch after many more dogs in that way. Um, but stick around, because I'm sure there's going to be some coming into my life in not too long. Um, awesome. We might have a few other cameos this evening, depending on how the cards play out. Um, but to kick us off, uh, Telluride seems to be a pretty dog-friendly place. Um, I know you both, in kind of the general pet world, um, deal pretty specifically with dogs. But, um, yeah, I would love to hear about your uh, kind of individual um, professions uh, just to get us started and yeah do you want to talk about um, Dirt Dog and what you're doing over there? Yeah so uh, Dirt Dog is located right by Slate Gray at the bottom of the shop next door. We do self-grooming basically self-washes so if the owners want to do their own wash they can. We also do just grooming in general for doodles, all kinds of dogs, de-shedding. We take and we also take, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we sell pet products. We also do 
special orders for people uh, that come to town and they need certain products. So we try to help as many owners as we can. Um, and so that's kind of the, the gist of Dirt Dog. We're just a really happy, friendly, outgoing store and we love to help people out in their animals as well. Have you worked with um, dogs elsewhere? Um, in the veterinary world, yeah, I have. Where else have you uh, practiced? Uh, I worked at a clinic for a few months uh, in Kansas. Um, and then we took and we moved out here, me and my husband. And then I started at the animal hospital. And then I started at Dirt Dog. Cool. So it's kind of a, a jump and finding a nice little place to be at. Have you noticed anything specific about... Uh, the Telluride dog culture like are there um, do you notice anything about the dogs here <laughs> are they super athletic are they a certain breed um, uh, most of the dogs are very uh, depending on the owners everyone has their own personalities so it's great to find a dog that matches that personality so if you love hiking then I see a lot of people with like Doodles and Bernese Mountain Dogs and Huskies, which are all great for snow, especially um, super durable dogs. Uh, I also have clients that like their little cute fluffy puppies, which <laughs> are always super fun and just always cuddle bugs. Not saying the big ones aren't either, because I swear to God, they try to push me onto the floor and just want to lay down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when it comes to breed specific, a lot of doodles, a lot of Bernese, um, definitely a lot of huskies. Yeah. So it sounds like owners match their dogs a little bit. They do. Yeah. So that myth is true. Oh, totally. Um, if I if I brought my dog uh, up into the the store, you would see that. Well, she's also older now. Um, you would see that she is very happy and go lucky like me and we love to take and talk to people and try to be as friendly as possible to as many people as possible. <laughs> cool. How about you, Rachel? What have you noticed about um, Telluride dogs? Um, I would say piggybacking on what you were saying, <laughs> like obviously we have a lot of bigger breeds here. That's pretty common. We do have like those super hardy little ones though that like have to jump over snow banks just to get <laughs> through their yards or like out to the sidewalk and I love that because I think they're hardier um, but one thing I've noticed in this town is that we have a lot of dogs that come with trauma because they grew up on the res we have a lot of adopted dogs from the reservations which those dogs are some of my favorites because they're amazing and they're like these beautiful amazing diverse mixes and breeds and um, but I think that's something that we have to be really aware of in this community in the southwest is that a lot of these dogs had to survive for good chunks of their lives, if not a lot of their lives. Or even if they came in as puppies, they had to, you know, learn how to survive from their parents or other dogs on the res. And so I think it's important to give them space, be patient with them, and um, just kind of like understand that maybe they don't know how to play yet or how to socialize yet because they didn't have time to learn that when they were trying to survive. Yeah. Um, I also want to introduce uh, one of our oh I don't think she even has a stool um, but we can we can fix that 
Um, I'm glad you have actual professionals on here because when you were like, you should do the show, I was like, you need to be talking to some other people. But here they are. Just yes, like, yes. Okay, awesome. so who has joined us is uh, Mary Higgins, who was very nervous about not actually being in the pet quote unquote industry, um, but is the programs and outreach director for the Telluride Historical Museum, which hosted uh, a dog exhibit, a dog museum this summer. Sure did. Um, so she might have some anecdotes about Telluride dog history. I did not attend that exhibit, um, unfortunately, as I'm not a dog. But <laughs> you could have come if you were not a dog. <laughs> Heads up. But also, you know, it was kind of under the radar. We are up at the top of First Street. Um, you know, we're lovingly forgotten and also lovingly remembered at times that we don't expect it. Um, and it was our just kind of first foray into trying something like this. What we did was a dog museum that was intended for both. Um, pets and their humans to come and explore a little bit of what the Telluride history has been and for them to get some sensory stimulation in a safe environment and uh, for the people to learn something as well. Cool. Do you have any um, uh, specific stories from dog history or were there different like focus groups, uh, rescue dogs, um, you know, what have dog or they're working dogs in this community absolutely we had working dogs so mule trains were one of the major modus of transportation for um, goods coming into town for people coming in and out for the mail system for a long time before the railroad was put into place and um, you certainly needed dogs kind of to keep things in line mules are pretty good at getting together and following directions but you know stubborn as a mule for some reason so we do have these photos of like the mule teams on main street and you'll see a little dog popping up in a photo here or there um, as well as, again, the biggest lesson and takeaway is always that dogs are man's best friend, you know, always, forever. Um, they give unconditional love. They deserve so much back. And uh, you can see in the photos, too, that these people, it's like a, truly a family member, a working partner. Um, you know, it took so much time, effort, energy, and finances to actually have a photo taken, unless it was, you know, um, historical record for the newspaper, something you didn't really anticipate it. So if someone chose to get a photo done of their pet or, like, chose to spend money of you know film to be developed on their dog you know it's like that's that kind of can tell us the story through the evidence of that existing history that what these animals meant to the people who lived here um since day one really so cool yeah um that's interesting you think about uh definitely like ranching communities or more open range places having a rich um dog and also animal husbandry like tradition but not so much in kind of a mining community so that's uh cool to hear thank you for sharing yeah absolutely and um just to give people an overview if you didn't make it to the exhibit what we did um was we have several photos i think we only topped out at like 15 or so just because we wanted to give enough space between stations in case there were multiple pets to give everyone plenty of breathing room um, but we had photos and then paired with the photo we had an artifact and it was either a historical artifact like a horseshoe that has been dug up and probably smells really good after being in the transfer warehouse for years and years um and you know some of them we had um, ski boots to kind of salute our abby dogs who do tons of hard work on the mountain um but those ski boots also smelled real good to some of those dogs so they had these little smell stations that paired with what the photo was and the story that accompanied it as well as there was like a small tiny little agility course it wasn't super impressive but it, it was there uh, and people took advantage of it um we also have a sluice at the museum that is kind of like a panning for gold, and we took a kiddie pool and filled it with sand and water and put a ton of tennis balls in it, so that was the doggy sluice, so they could <laughs> dig around in there for that. Just get some stimulation in a different way, and again, something where at the museum, we don't allow pets inside unless they're really 
um, particular service dogs just because um, hair and dander can get into the artifacts and the exhibits and so people always think oh it's your you know being discriminatory it's like no it's purely for the preservation of the history but we have treats behind the counter so if you have your friend who has to sit on the porch while you come to the museum they're always welcome to a treat but um that was the first thing we thought is gosh telluride is such a dog town and that's a huge demographic of our population who might not come to the museum because dogs aren't allowed and that's just what it is but here was a way to try to integrate and make it um, more fun and involved for everybody cool yeah yeah definitely awesome. a dog yeah, town yeah 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 um and I understand we've already been through everybody else's pets. Would you like to share? I, I believe you are a pet owner. I am. I have uh, the love of my life, my Baloo, who is almost 12, um, who I got at a very young age, probably too young, uh, to really make a wise decision on getting a 130-pound dog. But uh, I didn't know he was going to get that big. I, when I adopted him from the shelter, they were like, ah, oh, he's a lab mix. Uh, and I did the first round of papers, and then when I went for the second round to do the final adoption, they're like, hey, just a heads up, he's a lab mastiff. So he could get <laughs> upwards of 145, what have you. Uh, and I, I was just already in love. I was like, you can tell me different. And so um, I got him from the Laramie Animal Shelter. Shout out to Laramie, Wyoming. They have a great program um, where they do first round of all your you know, vaccinations, spay and neuter. They don't let you adopt them you know, unless you spay and neuter, which I'm on board with. Um, and uh, their adoption fee at the time was 35 bucks. So, I mean, maybe irresponsible in that way, but actually they super vetted you. They didn't want anyone, it's a college town, so they didn't want, especially if you were in school, they were really hesitant to adopt you. So I, I did it after I graduated and was on my way. Um, but then I have a second dog also from the Laramie Animal Shelter, Sonoma, and she's a shepherd pit mix. And I came in, I don't know what breeds we were talking about right when I walked in the door, but the just- The big dogs. The, yeah, the big yeah, dogs. The big breeds. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm sorry I missed the first bit, but um, it is definitely super cool and important just to know that um, there's this one trainer out there, I'm sure. I mean, Rachel's my favorite trainer in the world from what I've Aww. seen, like in real life. Um, but this other trainer has like the phrase, no bad dogs. And I really love that phrase, enjoy it. I don't think we've ar- maybe you've already talked about it, but it is that like if your dog has specific needs or, you know, you have to meet them where they are at somewhat. And you definitely need to, I don't know, I'm sure you talked about all the training bit, but that you can adapt or that dog needs to a specific environment to really thrive in. And that's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're a bad owner. It doesn't mean they're a bad dog. It's just finding the right fit, you know, like all of us just being humans. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'm yeah. super rambling. I just came from a surprise <laughs> Spanish conversation hour that I did not think I was going to be involved in. So I'm like <laughs> trying to grasp back to um, making sense. So right. yeah. um, Well, thank you for joining us. And I understand you might actually have to go early at some point to let your dogs out. I do, actually. Yeah. I um, have to run. I thought this was which, at 4 o'clock. And I was like, oh, that's fine. But yeah. Which is totally acceptable. So, it's topical. Um, pop out whenever. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Thank you for the little for uh, trip me. into history. Ah, it's a quick dive. Yeah. Come see us at the museum and bring your pups. We've got treats for them. Is it... Is the exhibit still on? No, you know, we just did it in the summer when the weather we knew was good, but we're, um, it was a success and I think we're aiming to bring it back next year. Awesome. Also, we do have bandanas that are for sale, like shameless um, plug for these, but they're very cheap, but they say historically good dog on them and they have the museum logo. Um, And every penny goes to um, supporting the museum, which is a local nonprofit. And uh, if you want one, come get one. Otherwise you can come and get one for free next summer when we do (laughs) it again. So yeah. And it's a free exhibit and will remain free. So yeah, great. Thank you guys. Thanks Mary. Thanks so much, Mary. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, well, I grew up um, with a vet as my mother, and the second half of the, there are 
there are no bad dogs was that there are actually only bad owners um so yeah the, i think the point of that was like um you have to learn how to adapt to your dog and if a dog is misbehaving then maybe that is its owner's fault and not actually the dog's fault um but uh indeed i think part of um some of the challenge of having such a dog-friendly town is a little bit like people just always have the, you know they're always part of um the culture and like they're always around and i'm wondering if you two have any thoughts on dog etiquette uh or challenges with um kind of dog etiquette and people bristling at the presence of dogs um i know different places work differently and you know coming from um an area that was less outwardly dog friendly it was it was much more expected to have you know the dog on the leash on the trail and that kind of thing um um i can speak to that uh so I think that a lot of people visit Telluride and they see the Telluride dog culture and they're like, wait, I'm going to have my dog be just like that. I'm going to take its leash off and let it just do its thing. Um, but I think something that should be known is that a lot of the dogs that can quietly sit outside of a shop while you go inside or sit outside of a restaurant while you eat, is that those dogs have been trained to do it, whether intentionally or not, those dogs have learned that if they wait patiently for their human, they'll come back, um, or that they need to sit and be still while their people are eating hamburgers that smell really good. Um, and so sometimes we get people that just let their dogs run wild and it gets a little chaotic, and I get it. Like, we have this iconic town with postcard imagery everywhere, and the dogs are reflective of that. Um, but I think that's something to be aware of, especially during really busy seasons, is that sometimes the dogs that are here can be um, just not cultured in the way we do things here. So um, I personally notice it when I'm out working with dogs on the river trail and around town. I have to be pretty conscious of, you know, random dogs approaching the dogs that I'm training in that moment. Um, and sometimes that can be fine, but if you have a dog that doesn't like other dogs or isn't socialized with dogs running up to them, it can be an issue. So it's our job to kind of step in and protect them or, you know, guide them away from a loose dog that's chaotic that is going to freak it out um but i think in general it's kind of good etiquette to if you're passing someone on a hiking trail or on the river trail or whatever to kind of pull off to the side with your dog whether or not your dog's dog friendly or not like pull off give them space because even if your dog's the happiest dog in the world the dog passing you might be really nervous in that moment or the person might have trauma from their dogs being nervous so it's it's just kind to give them space and I think that's kind of how it is just hiking in general even without dogs give people space on the trail um, but I think that's like a big etiquette piece that I uh, I don't know if I want to say but I'd like to push it <laughs> because I think it's important to like really respect those other people's experiences with their dogs um, right mm -hmm. and respect how their dog might respond to your dog because yeah. you know it's not I don't know, communication can also really help, like, um, just talking about people's different experiences with their dogs, I guess, on the trails is something that helps out as well. Well, I'd have to agree with Rachel on everything because of the fact that a lot of times I get dogs in the grooming salon, and sometimes 
you know, it's okay. Just let me know your dog's like afraid or has a past trauma that I need to know about. That way I can keep them comfortable. Um, I have some owners where it's like after the appointment, it's like, so um, anything I should know about because I brought in a dog just to get his nails trimmed and another was scared and they're like, oh yeah, um, actually this happened. And it's like, okay. So I think past traumas, you know, they're there. Um, and you should make it aware, especially to at least your groomer, your vet, that, hey, this happened. So I had a dog who got it, who was great, really well trained, would sit under the table at meals, no problems. And then he ended up getting attacked by two dogs that did not have any kind of etiquette whatsoever. And now when he's out and about in public, he'll bark at other dogs and it makes it hard for them to take it out, which hurts me because that's their baby. And unfortunately, there's just some people out there that don't think about these things. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree with Rachel on the fact that not everyone's the same, not every dog's the same. So we should think about it in a roundabout of everyone. Yeah, if you consider it like humans, um, like if we were sitting at a coffee shop enjoying dinner, or, or sorry, coffee, I suppose, and a random person you've never met before just comes up in your face smelling you aggressively, like that would be really intense. Yeah, so totally. I try and think about that same experience with the dogs, um, of like teaching them how to respect personal boundaries in space of other people and other dogs. Right. Um, Another thing is, like, we don't have a dog park in this town, which mm -hmm. is sometimes really interesting because we have so many dogs. Um, but we kind of have dog park culture in a lot of ways, um, which is really wonderful in a lot of ways and also can be really challenging in some. But if you ever show up at the park and there's someone, like, playing fetch one-on-one -on -one with their dog and maybe they're working with them, training them, um, just try and read the room because not all dogs that are at the park are there to socialize and play sometimes they're there to be with their person because right. a lot of us don't have yards so um, just consider that the parks also are kind of everyone's <laughs> yard um, and just think about like whether or not you're gonna let your dog rampage around when they're <laughs> trying to like do something structured with their their pup cool well we um, are going to take a little musical interlude to play pets uh, by porno for pyros uh, we also have a whole dog uh, and pet playlist, so maybe we'll <laughs> dive into that a little bit. Um, but we'll be back in a bit to talk about um, the dog training process, uh, other pets um, in San Miguel County, and uh, yeah, stay tuned.
All right, we are back after that uh, musical interlude with other editions. And um, yeah, I would love to hear about uh, the um, experience of a, of a cat owner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like owning cats in Telluride? Well, you know, they just have it so bad they get fed more than three times a day and have the sun to bathe in and all the love in the world. <laughs> um, I have two cats, uh, Sebastian and Alana. I call her Nana. <clears throat> and uh, Sebastian is like a dog, literally. Like you, He loves it when you throw his toys so he can catch them and fetch and just bad on like their tennis balls <laughs> and uh, my female Nana she loves to just basically sit around she is princess of the house so she's in control um, she loves to take and wake my husband up particularly in the morning by just little little bats to the face like just barely pressing and meowing at him um, so she gets her way a lot <laughs> <laughs> um, no cats are great they are at least mine are super cuddly, super loving, which is just amazing. I rescued them off of a church step back in Louisiana, and they have become some of the best cats I've ever had. Um, there's this thing where I feel like when you rescue an animal, it's like they're grateful for the rest of their life. And so mine definitely love the cuddle, love on you, and always want attention. Um, when it comes to bathing a cat i mean that's a totally different story <laughs> but other than the bathing part um which they're not too bad <laughs> um it's it's not bad so it's how bad are they cat. indoor cats yeah uh my cats are indoor i like keeping cats indoor particularly just because well it would probably make it easier to move them yeah <laughs> oh definitely moving them uh but just for the simple fact of two um uh, i don't want a big bird to, to carry my cat away um I will absolutely lose my mind for one um and then also just the simple fact of how many predators are outside that could take and hurt my animal and me never know and the never knowing part is one of those factors of having a cat that yeah i lose my i lose my mind <laughs> um but i love my cats they're great they're super cuddly um I could show you millions of photos of them. <laughs> I think they're so cute. <laughs> How did you find your way to uh, working as a groomer and working as uh, um, working in vet clinics? Um, Is that for a young passion? Yeah. So uh, I remember when I was little, like that was one of the things I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and then I found about being a vet tech and doing more with animals and taking care of them more and just putting a little bit more extra effort into the care part of it um and then unfortunately i uh i had a really bad year where um, i lost two puppies as well as my horse my first horse and i needed to take some time to recuperate because um, it's really hard in the vet world i don't think a lot of people realize you know we understand we totally understand everything you're going through when you lose your pet because we have developed just such a deep love for your animal and so that part of the job became a little hard so i decided to take some time learn grooming meet a bunch of amazing dogs back in louisiana um 
and then eventually once I was in the right place I got back into the vet world and I loved it I worked at a great clinic back in Kansas which um, they called my unicorn clinic because it was the perfect match <laughs> and those girls were so amazing uh, everyone's super supportive and so then I moved here and got back into the grooming I met Lindsay she's an awesome person she cares so much about animals and I love helping her out she's amazing cool how about you Rachel how did you get into dog training well um it's kind of one of those things that I circled back to as an adult but it started when I was young I got my first dog when I was 10 after begging for like more <laughs> or less 10 years of my life for a dog um eventually a, a Weimaraner found me and my family and she quickly became my dog and I spent a lot of my spare time training her and we'd go and do agility um like hours away my parents or my friend's parents would drive me and my buddy to agility like once a week which I look back on it and I'm like wow that was formative and also really awesome that they did that because we lived in a city it wasn't like we were in Telluride and had to drive everywhere for long or for like groceries and things you know it was it was different because we were in a city so I really appreciate those formative experiences with that friend who's actually ironically now a horse trainer um so we look back <laughs> on it we laugh we're like oh yeah we could have seen this coming but we totally didn't see it coming um but then I I started working in the outdoor industry for quite a while I guided and um have kind of spent a lot of time teaching and so a few years ago, I started to circle back towards dogs and people started asking me to work on things with their dogs. And I remembered, it kind of sparked the passion that I have for working with dogs and how enjoyable it is to, to read them and communicate with them. And so now I kind of do a hybrid of working with dogs and uh, working with people. Obviously dog training has a lot of people components, but I also teach skiing still. So I still work a little bit in that guide world, but I think you know, those early formative training classes I took when I was a kid, where I had to like get permission to take the class because I was a child and not an adult. Um, and then all the time I've spent teaching people has really come together in like a really great way. And it feels good to be able to benefit the, com the community um, since we could use more dog, you know, people in this place. So uh, in a lot of ways, the community pushed me to remember what I love doing so much and I really appreciate that uh, so it's been a cool journey and I don't know if it would have happened as fast if I wasn't in Telluride cool what was it like working with people at the library this summer oh it was super fun so that was kind of a fun uh, project that uh, Joanna Spindler came up with and she kind of pitched the idea to me and I'm sure some other people and we were like yeah let's do like a dog thing let's do a dog series I love this we have so many dogs especially oh, yeah. after COVID um, and so it was fun we kind of put together several classes and um, I don't know I don't know if there's ever been anything <laughs> like that at the library before I'm not entirely sure but it seemed like the community was really stoked and several people came to all of them uh, some people you know did one or two of the classes and there was a lot of really great feedback so um it kind of seems like we might need to do some more of that do you normally train uh hold your sessions outdoors or do you have a separate facility 
oh, I wish I had a facility. But in this town... Would that make it easier? Oh, it'd be so great. <laughs> because in the winter, it's just hard. Like, yeah. when it's snowing, some dogs can't focus in the snow. Uh, same with rain. Some dogs have a really hard time focusing in the rain. So most of the training is outside. Sometimes it's at my house. Sometimes it's at um, the owner's houses. Um, and it varies, but most of it's outside. And especially if socializing is what we're trying to do with the dog, we need to be out and about. They need to be experiencing the noises and sounds and people and dogs of town. Um, but I, if anyone has a little space to rent, I'm like, <laughs> I would love to rent a little a little space to work with dogs this winter because I'm already dreading that it's going to be cold. <laughs> what is um, a sign of a successfully trained dog? What, what... Is there a moment that there's like a bond between uh, the quote unquote owner and the dog or something like that where you're like, all right, things are things are looking good here? Yeah, uh, you kind of it's hard to describe, but you, you start to see that there's two way communication going across from the dog to the person and vice versa. Um, I I kind of think that the word obedience is a big hot word in dog training but obedience kind of implies that one party is inferior to the other and they need to listen to the other um but i try and emphasize that like good dog training and good like living with your dog is having two-way communication so the dog's also able to communicate to you that they're uncomfortable or nervous or excited or hungry or whatever their needs are and the person has done the work to learn how to read their dog as well. And so they've learned to read that when the dog does this certain thing, it means that they are nervous and need help and need to be removed from a situation or that they really need to go to the bathroom or whatever it is. I think it's a, it's a two-way street. And so when I see that click for people in their dogs, I'm like, yes, I love this. Cause that's <laughs> when stuff like really starts to happen and you start to see a lot of magic and, um, yeah, it's. I don't think any dog's ever going to be perfect because we're not perfect, and I don't think we should hold them accountable to that. But to be able to communicate really well is, I think, that that point that you're going for. Throughout the pandemic, have either of both of either or both of you really noticed a, an actual difference in dogs or dog population here? The number of people adopting. Um. Well. <laughs> I actually moved here last year, so <laughs> I wasn't around for all the pandemic. Um, however, back where I was working back in Kansas, yes, we got quite a dog population, kitty cats. Um, everybody was getting just a furry little baby that could take and be with them at home. I have several friends who got a dog or a cat over the pandemic. and. I I hear <laughs> um, how um, I still will okay I still meet puppies today in the grooming salon that are pandemic puppies and so I like to work with the owners to get your puppy used to socialization at least for the grooming situation so it's more comfortable and not as intimidating for the dog. Do you have any um particular particularly memorable clients or? Um uh, grooming experiences from your first bit of time working here in Tyrone? Um, I guess what's the definition of memorable? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just looking for a good story. Yeah. I mean, okay. I think it's, uh, you know, I've never, I've never taken 
my dog to a groomer right. actually um, and, I, and I'm just curious about that process yeah. um, my mother's a vet and I know she always had a few uh, kind of dogs in her head all the time or pets in her head <laughs> right. and she would she just remembered that name or she would see another dog and she said oh I had a client I, who was just like that <laughs> um, yeah. so um, one of the dogs that always uh, I would strike up uh, her name is Revy. She's the cutest little doodle. She's always super sweet. She's my, she's a little bit of my nervous girl. So we always make sure her appointment is, or we try to make it by herself. Um, but she's a super sweet little doodle. Um, but to be honest, it's kind of hard because I love all my dogs that come in. Um, I'm one of those people that I have to be honest, I don't remember your name, but I remember the dog's name just fine. <laughs> But I love all my clients. I love all their dogs. Um, so I can name off a bunch of them. Um, I've had Bernies. I have Newfies. I've had Doodles. And I love them all equally. <laughs> um, now, recently I had a, a cute little puppy who was a pandemic puppy. And he's never been really groomed or at least when he was I don't know what they did um but he was super nervous so we talked to mom and we got some kind of little grooming training going at home to make him more comfortable and so when it comes to a puppy being memorable they all have their own little special things that they do at the salon that makes them who they are and I love every single one of them cool um do either of you see any um, specific or lingering like challenges for the community of pet owners here in Telluride? Like, are there things that people feel, uh, you know, frustrated by, or um, that there's a particular <coughs> difficulty? I mean, I guess one thing is we can't. It's hard to, uh, you know, ha really have like a 4-H program or something. Um, or really have a lot of experience with working animals, which is a little bit different than a pet, but also has aspects of, of that. And I know you, you grew up with horses, it sounds like, um, mm -hmm. in a place where that, was, where that was possible. I wonder, are there ways where, you know, um, ways that that could be incorporated into life here or, um, or uh, other, ch other challenges that, that the pet community faces? Um. So when it comes to having kids like work with livestock, I personally was in 4-H as a kid and I loved it. <laughs> I wanted to do 4-H, but I lived too much, like too far into the city. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> I lived like in BFE, Louisiana, so that was a little bit easier. Um, I also grew up with, when I was little, I had cattle and chickens and that kind of stuff. Um, so when it comes to like a 4-H program, for like or some kind of agricultural program for the kids I think it'd be great in and this is just my opinion of course but if like someone could reach out to more of the agri agricultural aspects that are available in Telluride so like we do have cattle here in the cannon and we have horses in the cannon um, but when it comes to to, to that aspect maybe the school reaching out to those owners um, the ones that do especially the more livestock industry with those animals so like roping or 
um, okay, this is my cattle and this is what I, this is what they're for. And, you know, kind of just being upfront with the kids to the nicest extent, depending, depending on the age, of course. Um, but I think if more of these educational programs out here would reach out to them, then we could have more of an agricultural program for the kids. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. The One of the Kodo, um, like, mascots is actually a cow. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, cow. it's a valley floor cow. And yeah. we don't really think about that so much, but... It is indeed uh, one of the aspects here. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this call. I would see if we see who is on the line here. Um, hello, can you hear us? Are you on Kodo? Yeah. Hi. I just wanted to let you know that um, San Miguel County does have a 4-H program, and um, my son was in 4-H, and we've. Um, he, he was raised and went to school here. So there's been other kids that have been involved with 4-H, and it's through the um, um, the San Miguel County um, Extension Office. So just wanted to let you all know that. And there's a lot of 4-H groups, um, particularly on the west end of our county, um, where there's more agricultural um, areas um, where kids can raise cows and pigs and goats and sheep but um it can be done here as cool. well so just wanted to let y'all know thanks for sharing um, and uh yeah wh what was your son involved with specifically what was his specific animal um he wasn't in um animal husbandry um okay. he was actually in um cooking and yeah he was making jams and breads and all kinds of stuff so um 4-h is really a wonderful program and it has lots of different um categories very cool um hopefully yep. you know that could be a whole off the record someday is uh what 4-hers are up to in the area thanks for calling in yeah us know. yeah you bet okay have a good night thank you yeah you too bye Yes, I had actually reached out to the extension office to ask if anybody would like to uh, come in. But you know, given that it's now getting dark early and Telluride is far away, it was it was a long it was literally a long shot. Um, but yeah, no, there's lots of um, animal husbandry in the area, so that's cool. And also, uh, as you point out, um, Courtney even quite proximate to us here, so that's a good thought. Um, how about you, Rachel? Any anything to add on that note, or um, is all else bliss for those who would like to own pets in uh, this dog-soaked valley? Dog-soaked. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that one thing that I I think is pretty similar to our issues here as people is that medical care can be a little scary. Um, obviously, we have vets in the valley, and they do a really great job. Uh, but much like for us, we don't have a hospital, so it's like they can only handle so much and they can only handle so like certain cases. So if we have an emergency on a weekend, it's quite scary because you might need to go to Montrose or to GJ to get care for your pet. Um, so I know that I, I definitely consider that, you know, the days where the vet's not in and just in general being careful with them because if something were to happen, it'd be... You know, it, it, it's hard. It's not like we can just drive five seconds or five minutes and be at a full care facility. So 
Uh, I do think that that's something that is on the minds of a lot of pet owners here. It's been quite a conversa conversation um, in terms of just trying to do our best to care for these these wonderful pets of ours. But also, like, same with us. Like, if we have a bad accident as a human, you know, we have to travel. So I think these are things that are kind of weighing on people here. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of knowledge in this community too. So it's, it's also great that we have resources. If something happens, you can reach out to a friend or a neighbor, or, yeah. you know people like you who are you know have worked in vet offices that know things you which know, i've had before yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i also think a lot about um kind of the predominance of travel and the off-season culture here it makes it interesting there are a lot of um serial pet sitters and a lot of there's a whole kind of pet sitting industry mm -hmm. um i didn't i didn't uh, manage to book somebody who has first-hand experience of that um I do remember one time, uh, or maybe maybe we do. Um, yes, uh, me and my husband uh, <laughs> do pet sitting as well to try to help as many people out, especially since I have a medical background. Cool. Uh, I can take care of animals with those medical needs. And what's that like? Do you usually, you know, you don't you, do you usually go to their house and take care of the pet there? Yeah, I usually go to their house. Um, like my one one of my clients. Uh, he is, he's got a medical condition and he requires daily medication, fluids and such. Um, and so I go to their house every morning and evening when they're not home and I take care of them and feed them and give them all the cuddles and <laughs> sleep over with them. Yeah, yeah, pet care is a lot of steps. It's, um, there's a lot to do for certain animals. Yeah. Um, and then... <laughs> It's like having, um, for anyone who's got a child, it's like having a baby all over again <laughs> for some. Um, cool. Well, I think we have time for uh, one more song. This hour, we'll play Billy Currington's Like My Dog. Um, and then uh, we can come back and close it out with final reflections um, on all things pets. Uh, so... Um, Stay tuned. We'll be back in a bit. He never tells me that he's sick of this house. He never says, why don't you get off that couch? He don't cost me nothing when he wants to go out I want you to love me like my dog He never says I need a new attitude Him and my sister ain't always in a feud When I leave the seat up he don't think that it's true won't you to love me like my dog does, baby When I come home, won't you to just go crazy He never looks at me like he might hate me Won't you to love me like my dog He never acts like he don't care for my friends He never asks me 
where in the hell have you been? He don't play dead when I want to pet him. I want you to love me like my dog does, honey. He never says I wish you made more money. He always thinks it pulled my fingers funny. I want you to love me like my dog. We are back to close out this hour on pets, uh, which, what do you know, was kind of about dogs. Um, but we got some other. We got we touched. We covered our bases. We had a real cat owner in the flesh, um, and uh, yeah. So thank you all for um, tuning in. And um, where can we find you if we have burning pet questions that we haven't had answered this hour? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, you can find me at Dirt Dog always grooming, and if I'm not there, uh, somebody will, can always direct you to me. You can always contact me through the Dirt Dog Spa Co at gmail.com. Trying to remember that off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but you can always stop by the business, get a business card, find out the email. Usually, um, we will hand out my number sometimes, um, but generally email's best. And if I'm there, I'm more than happy to answer questions, help you out, depending on whatever need you have. And when will you next uh, make it home to visit your pet horse in Louisiana? Ooh, this November. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, you can find me, Rachel, at... Um, my Instagram's probably the page with the most resources. I kind of hate social media. I'm not very good at it, but I try my best to post um, kind of updates on the dogs at least once a week on my Instagram, and that's wrangle.dogs. And then my website is thedogwrangler.com. You can send me an email through there if you have questions. Uh, those are kind of my places. I don't have like a storefront here in town. Or you can just find me on the street. Honestly, I'm walking around with dogs like all the time. So <laughs> I'm that one that you'll see loop by your restaurant like four <laughs> times in five hours. Uh, but yeah. I did but, have one question. Do you ever um, do you ever deal with training of like rescue dogs? Yes, lots of rescues. And it, um, or like dogs that are trained to be rescuers. Oh, yes. Um, so actually, 
me and several other Telluride ski patrollers who are um, Abbey dog handlers, avalanche dog handlers, just finished some training in Silverton a uh, week before last. And so we were working with a bunch of the working dogs and that includes our newest dog, Pika. She was um, brought to the mountain last year to be socialized. And this year she's starting to learn and implement uh, actual Abbey dog searching skills. And so, yeah, she got to go to school. We were there to get her going on that. And yeah, so I, I do work with them a bit. I also work with folks that want to get their dog hunting. So I'm not a hunter myself, but I can help with the beginning stages of pushing their skills towards being certain types of hunting dogs. So hmm. that's something else I've kind of been doing. Cool. Yeah. And what breeds are avalanche dogs usually? Uh, they're typically labs. Sometimes oh, wow. Goldens, and border collies often make great abby dogs. Um, yeah, but you'll, s- especially in Colorado, most of them are labs of various kinds. Cool. Yeah. They and kind of are very driven for that kind of work. These are dogs that will, after an avalanche, help recover. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're trained on finding people through scent, and sometimes visuals. But a good avi dog is then learn then knows how to find people on scent. So they can often find people before people can, and so that can save lives. So they're a really great resource here. We're very lucky to have an avalanche program because the the avi dogs are also sometimes used through the San Miguel uh, County Search and Rescue Team as backcountry avalanche dogs. So we are very fortunate to have those pups around and all of their handlers. Um, Cool. Well, that takes us pretty much to the end of our hour. Uh, Thank you for joining. Um, Off the, I I guess I could call it off the leash. I was like, there's a (laughs) pun there. Um, But this has been off the record. Uh, Everything pets in San Miguel County. Um, Stay tuned. There is... Uh, another rich evening of radio ahead, of course, with Pow Surf um, coming on right now, and then Brothers Ross at 9 p.m. Um, all right, thanks, Koto listeners, and you all have a lovely night, and thank you uh, to my great guests. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Oh.